podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. I'm pleased to announce that we have an Australia on 99.94 podcast, and it is Barat Sundaresan hosting with the lesser-known Melinda Farrell. Hello, lesser-known Melinda Farrell. How are you? He's more famous than you now, isn't he? He feels more famous than you. I don't, I don't know. I suppose in what circles. I've got more Twitter I have no followers idea. than he does. Does that count? No, because he's terrible at Twitter. If he actually tweeted properly, he'd have a million followers, right? He's <laughs> all he ever does is like retweet wrestling videos and stuff. Like <laughs> that's true. No, he is. He's, yeah, he's, he's look. He's one of the most. What, what is it? His book, The Dony Touch, is in the top most uh, thirty-five, top or forty-five top most influential books in India. You just or said something top like that. and most like eighty-three <laughs> times. <laughs> People I'm have read his book, I think is stuff. what you say. <laughs> Lots of people have read his book. I can see why I got you on the show. Um, <laughs> uh, thank you very much for joining the network and, and getting involved. Three times a week, Australian cricket stuff uh, will be coming to your ears. Re- subscribe, you know, do all that review. Don't review until you've heard the first episode, so maybe <laughs> don't go don't go too strong on this one. This is this is just the introduction one. Mel and Barrett will be a lot smoother than me and Bella. Bell are. Bell. I've got your name wrong now. I haven't seen you in a while. This is like when you were at the Cricket Writers Club the other day and you kept falling off the chair. I did not actually fall off and it it had a bad back. Like as soon as I leaned back, the back went back. You know this. I did not fall off. I came close. jerky movement you did for the YouTube audience there. Let's start with you. We don't have to talk about Barak because he's around everywhere. But you you started as a news reporter. Is that that right? I Actually, my, my first job, really, was working in TV production. So um, TV production and then I would do features in my spare time. I would go for months without a day off so that I could do features because I used to count backwards a lot. I was a director's assistant, so a lot of counting backwards. Very good at it, Uh, but only from 10. Didn't get it wrong too many times. Would have got a job at NASA though, wouldn't you? (laughs) Yeah, I know. I'd be great (laughs) at countdown to liftoff. I'd be really good at that. Maybe a new career direction. But, uh, yeah, then I uh, yeah, started, then came back to Australia because I'd been over in England and was doing news reporting. And then I would also on weekends, I did a, did a lot of seven-day weeks, weekends going down and working for Fox Sports News and then started doing a lot of features for Fox Sports till eventually various paths led me to you uh, and Crick Info and uh, – then started our beautiful relationship that at times saw us sleeping uh, in a tent with uh, Aria, who's uh, I wonder where you were going to go then. I was like, I don't remember <laughs> some of these details, Mel. No, you must remember the three of us sleeping in a tent at the, at the foot, foot of the tree on the foot of the Himalayas. Yeah, also I remember waking up with the dog on me. The, yeah, the dog was keeping our feet warm, which was very good. That was on my feet, I should say. That wasn't you. <laughs> that was a different dog that had come in. I'm not, not being rude there. But. No. And also we watched some cricket. <laughs> we did, we did occasionally. Cricket. <laughs> you did some league stuff as well, didn't you? Rugby league for a while. And then Cricket Australia, their website. Is that the first time you were like a cricket specialist? Am I allowed to mention that? Are you allowed to say that you work for them? Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah, I did. I, that, that was, I mean, it was shorter. I, I signed a two-year contract with with Cricket Australia and I, I left after three months. But luckily, you know, all, all amicable. 
But I, yeah, I did a lot of league. I basically, of course, in Australia, you're from Victoria, so you follow the wrong code of football. But I'm from New South Wales, so I followed the correct code, which is rugby league. And um, I used to do rugby league in the winter and then switch over and do cricket in the summer. And then gradually uh, cricket just was better to work on for me. Um, And I was enjoying it more. And so I basically when I went to Cricket Australia, that was when cricket became full-time. And then I left there and then later that year started at ESPN Crick Info. I I mean, fair to say that you knew a lot about cricket coming in, but Crick Info certainly changed you from being a sports reporter to being a cricket expert. Is that fair to say? I am amazed that you would say that I'm a cricket expert. (laughs) In fact, can we cut that out? out. Um, Producers, if you're listening... I felt I felt like a little sick came up in my mouth as I said it. Yeah, I, I could I could actually see it, even though your picture's a bit blurry at the moment. I could see the sick in your throat. Uh, that that was yeah yeah. Crick info changed me massively in so many ways because just being immersed in it all the time and also being around such brilliant writers and yourself was really good too. Nice touch. Yeah, thanks. I thought I'd slip that in there. Uh, so yeah, yeah, it. it just became much more all-consuming, I think, and gave me more confidence. Like I, I, I'd written before, but I hadn't done a lot of writing, and then there were more opportunities, and I was encouraged to write more. Uh, there were just so many people to learn from. I think uh, it also made me realise that no matter how much you know about cricket, you never know everything because it's such a complex sport with so many layers upon layers upon layers that everybody's learning at some point. And in a way, that that gave me a little bit more confidence because sometimes I would hear someone who was a former player say something and I'd been thinking that, but I didn't have the confidence to say it. So um, uh, gradually that that helped me sort of, I don't know, just, just, just find my voice a little bit, my own voice when talking about cricket and realising that you don't have to be an ex-player or, you know, I, I mean, I've watched cricket, I have memories of watching cricket when I, from when I was about five years old, but, um, never really, oh, yeah, back in 1845, I moisturize and wear sunscreen <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> and, and yeah, just, um, but, but realizing, you know, there's so many different levels at which you can watch cricket as well. Um, so it was brilliant and I had an incredible time working there, loved it, um, and made a lot of friends, uh, around the world, which, you know, which is one of the best parts about it. So I am in my happy place when I'm around the cricket. Barrett obviously is one of those friends that you met around the traps. I just realized that this episode is going out as an introduction on Australia on 99.94 and I have completely cut him out (laughs) of his own podcast, but don't worry if you like him, he'll be on all the, well, most of the other episodes. So don't worry about that. You two got together in lock. Down, I want to say it was in lockdown or towards the end of lockdown with the good, the bad, and the ridiculous, uh, which yeah. was your show on YouTube. Yeah. So, I mean, I met Barat. So, first, that first summer in Australia, when I just after I started working for Creek Info, I met Barat because uh, it was New, uh, India's tour of Australia just when Philip Hughes died. And Barak came out and obviously he was great mates with Sid Monga and and then Gav Joshi and they were joined at the hip. And so I sort of met all of those guys. And then like you do, you sort of see someone a lot on a tour and then you don't see them 
until another tour or a series further down the track. So I'd sort of seen Bharat and, you know, it's, it's impossible not to get onto. He's annoyingly nice and cheerful, sort of like I can be actually. So um, we're kind of annoying together because we're very, you know, I'm more excitable. He's just more positive, I think. Um, but yeah, when he, he moved to Australia, so we sort of, you know, doing a bit more together on tours. And then, of course, the whole pandemic thing happened um, and I had just left Crick and Foe. Like your timing. <laughs> it is worth mentioning how bad your timing was on becoming a freelancer. My timing is so unbelievably good. It would, you know, make Kane Williamson jealous. Um, it, yeah, I, I did decide to head out into the freelance world two months before the pandemic hit. Uh, so yay me. But that meant I was stuck in Australia and um, wasn't really sure what I was going to do. The first year was pretty tough, but I decided to do the India tour. Um, and I, you know, I, I'd sort of thought, oh, should I do a little bit of YouTubing stuff? I guess I could try it. And I was sort of doing it on my own. And then I was asking people to come on. And um, Barak was always happy to come on if I couldn't get anyone else to come on as well. He's like, <laughs> I, that's how I he ended thought, up on my podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, bless it. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, we have a similar sense of humor and uh, it, it just sort of worked really well. So we just kept it going. Um, and it was fun. And we haven't done much in recent months just because I had another full-time job as well. And I was traveling over in England. It just became a little bit difficult to do but uh, we are going to do some during this world cup as well so we're bringing back the gbr well i mean you know just record our podcast first and tack those on the end okay. <laughs> you might, uh, yeah i mean well i mean then you don't have to meet up twice is all i'm saying you know uh <laughs> you don't want to spend too much time together no i mean we're, we're wrapped i think when i first saw good the bad and ridiculous was the first time i wrote down that i wanted you two as the host then you went off you were with sporting news for a while and I, I, you told me that it was going to be hard for you to do a podcast, so you you sort of dropped off. So it was very good for me that you recently quit your job again, and also very bad for the world because we're about to go into another pandemic, I assume, now that you're freelance again. But a little bit on Australian cricket. It's been an interesting week. I'm not going to talk about Josh English. Um, uh, uh, English? English? I can't say words English? today. English. I've been saying – I just feel like I've been on the microphone for about eight hours already, and I've got another show after you. I've got to, English uh, just – Cut his hand open playing golf, which I didn't know was a thing you could do. Bang golf. Well, after after what Johnny Bairstow did playing golf, I, I mean, football, golf is evil, right? Yeah. If it was football, they wouldn't be doing it anymore. That's all I'm saying. Uh, we don't know how bad his injury is just yet, do we? No. It, it, being assessed was the last thing I heard. So, yeah, it's, um, it's an, it is an interesting one because Josh Inglis was kind of sort of tipped to maybe take Steve Smith's place last year before the T20 World Cup. And then, of course, Australia stuck with Steve Smith and that all ended up working out okay. And then this year you, you've sort of seen Tim David come into the side as well. Uh, so Australia's lineup has kind of changed a little bit. The feel of it's changed a little bit. But you've always felt that that Josh Inglis has kind of been waiting in the wings as far as Steve Smith goes for a while. Um, but, yeah, so now if they don't have him for even the first few parts of it, then that suggests that they will stick with Steve Smith. They probably would have anyway at the start. I, I think the team that they put out against England sort of towards the end of that series was 
probably the team that they would start with uh, in the in the T20 World Cup. And Steve Smith was in that side. They still, you know, he's still there as that player who can come in as the situation uh, determines. They did play around with where they brought him in last year. So, uh, yeah, but Inglis means that they've got some other options as well But uh, in, in being flexible, but you just I can't see them not going in with Steve Smith. So that's one story. Pat Cummins as ODI captain is another thing that just happened. Uh, basically was announced ODI captain and then said, just so you all know, I'm going to be on holiday for a lot of my time uh, here and I won't be around. Uh, I can't remember... It might have been on Andrew Menzel's podcast and he, he was asking about that. And I said, They'll, they might give it to Pat Cummins, but even if they do, he won't be around. It was hilarious to hear Pat Cummins say almost exactly the same thing. Yeah. Well, it has to be, right? Because the schedule's so crazy. Uh, and as test captain, there's a there's sort of an extra amount of responsibility, I guess, on him as well. So the, the interesting thing about all of this is, of course, David Warner. So they haven't announced a vice captain. And in fact, they've said that there's basically going to be a senior playing group, a senior leadership group, if you like, um, which they've, they've done before in, in the, the test team where they've had sort of a few vice captains. They haven't just given it to one person. So, so it's not like that's not precedented, but they haven't even said that. They haven't even said, okay, we've got three vice captains um, and any one of them could step up. They just haven't announced any. Uh, and I, I guess part of that has been all surrounding this, this question of Dave Warner's uh, lifetime ban on leadership that he was given after Sandpapergate. They've, they're having, they've been having this review into that and into changing the, the, the code basically, because that because the, the players at the time, the three players, Bancroft, Smith and Warner, all accepted and didn't challenge their bans, there was no mechanism within the code uh, for those bans to be lifted. It's an automatic, you know, you just get that. It's, it's just, it's just like, it, it's also crazy, right? I mean, it's sport and, yes, you have to have codes, but they're, they're, there's a, a fair bit of craziness about it all, especially since the bans were handed out so quickly and they were possibly, arguably, um, knee jerk in the inarguably, the, I would say. Okay. Well, there are some people who still think that that it should have been that it should be lifetime. So I just always allow for those people. I mean, it shouldn't be lifetime when other players literally were fined a few thousand dollars for the same offence. You yeah. can be as upset about it as you want, but at a certain point, you know, if I spit out a piece of chewing gum and and I get a fifty dollar fine, and you spit out a chewing gum and you get hung, drawn, and quartered, I just think we have to find a, a, a different middle ground there and 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 bring it together. So I do think but, that on that that side. But the other thing is that they are looking at overturning David Warner's ban, not because they thought it was wrong, but because it's now convenient to them, which just means that the whole thing was ridiculous to begin with. It was like, we'll do it as long as we, you know, and when we when we no longer have to worry about PR, we'll just bring him back in and he'll be captain. Yeah, and I mean, you, you, you have to, in fairness, say that, you know, a lot of the people who made those decisions are no longer at Cricket Australia too. Yep. So, you know, this is what happens. So you have to always ask, I think, look at the code and sort of say, is it, is it fit for purpose? I've asked that question uh, a couple of times in, in the past year um, of Cricket Australia because other things have come up with the code of conduct and you just go, hang on, is this thing fit for purpose? So there are new people there that feeling at the moment, though, I think amongst a lot of the media is that this has just been going too long. 
Because the, the, the issue over Warner's vice captaincy or his leadership ban really was coming up um, around the time that people were realising that the Big Bash was in big trouble uh, because of all this competition from other codes. And they were doing everything they could to get the big stars back in. And because Warner hasn't been playing in the Big Bash, you know, he, he can't captain the Thunder, um, there was, because of this ban, uh, there, there's this wish to have him playing in the Big Bash because he's a big draw card and, you know, and maybe he he might have decided, I'm sure if the story was being dropped by people who had something to gain from it, then he might go to the UAE, for example, for the new tournament that's going to be on there. So that was what started really bringing up the rumblings about Warner's captaincy ban long before uh, Aaron Finch retired. All that did was, I think, bring it into very sharp focus very quickly. So they possibly should have started this review and, and gone through it earlier than they did. I don't know how long that takes to do, but this was always on the cards anyway. Um, just, it's, just been, yeah, it's just been exacerbated by, by the Aaron Finch resignation. Uh, by the, the way, when you just say that, I just have to say on the spitting out of gum, my mum, I did tweet this the other day, uh, Munzee. She was very un unhappy with him, loved watching him play. And then when he walked off the field, he spat out his gum and mum said, I can't believe he did that. Someone might tread on it. So there you go. She would give him a big fine for that. Just saying. To be honest, I think that's fair. He quite often hits yeah. it. He's one of those players who quite often hits his gum as well with his bat. That's a whole subgenre of player. <laughs> that, that's the sort of thing only me and Barat probably have ever noticed. But there is a, a lot of players who do that. So Big Bash, you talked about the David Warner story. As you said, I thought at the time it was probably him trying to get a better contract or a better deal with Cricket Australia. It might still be that. If he'd done it in a couple of years, I would think it would just be him cashing in. But at, at this stage, I thought it was more to do with that. But South African tournament, the Emirates tournament, right, are now on at the same time. They're both more important. The Big Bash couldn't get players ahead of the Bangladesh Premier League when it was being run well, right? How are they going to do it now that IPL owners are involved in these other leagues. Uh, you've got the IPL, you've got the PSL, you've got the 100. Big Bash just keeps moving further and further down in terms of importance. Private investment is now getting mentioned in Australian cricket for the first time since the Big Bash uh, when, when it was originally done. There's no doubt to me from my vantage point, and you cover Australian cricket a lot more than I do these days, is that Cricket Australia over the next couple of years is kind of have to finally come up with the reckoning that they are no longer that important a cricket nation anymore. And yes, they could still sell a few more tickets for India um, than, than other nations can. And the same, clearly that is the case with England and might be for some time. But political and financial... They might be the third most important cricket nation, but that third might have a bit of a big gap in it that will never be overcome anyway. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting because, uh, you know, I was, um, when the Big Bash League started, I was working for Fox Sports and because they were broadcasting it. And so I was also quite heavily involved in going around the country filming. I must have filmed 100 interviews and all of these pieces because there was so much riding on it being a success. So I've, like, from then through all, it's different going to Channel 10 and then 7 and 9 and, and the, the expansion and everything else. I've sort of watched it kind of go up and down and then gone over to England and then, you know, heard people talking in England just about how fantastic they thought it was and, and watching it over there. But even now when I go over to England, it feels like it's cooled quite a bit. And certainly in Australia, just 
anecdotally, and I know that that probably doesn't mean much, but I hear so much from people, uh, including people who were never really into cricket but loved the Big Bash and just used to have it on every night and now aren't that bothered. That that decision to expand it so much, I mean, that that was a, a real turning point, I think, in making it such a long tournament. Because of the viewer fatigue and because of the, the difficulties in attracting players for so long. One thing that I heard recently that I hadn't really thought of, so they've, they've brought in the draft as if, you know, the draft is going to be the big thing now and and I don't think it, it is. And you look at what, what's happened with Liam Livingston and you, you looked, look at the um, draft, the, the players that, that were in the draft. And I, I don't want to be disrespectful to the players who have got in, but there were a lot of players who were in the draft and who got picked up, who weren't necessarily the big draw cards when you look back at those early years of the Big Bash and saw the, the big-name draw cards that were, were being signed by, by clubs and attracted to Australia for the summer. Um, but Liam Livingston, so, they, you know, he's being trumpeted left, right and centre as, yeah, Liam Livingston. And then now, because of his England commitments and everything else, you know that's that it's a big loss to them. So that then leaves a big hole as well. But one thing that I've I've heard from players is that with the draft, there were some players overseas who, if they had the choice to come to Australia and say base themselves in Sydney or Brisbane or wherever it was, whatever city that they liked, um, they they might be happy to do it. But because the uncertainty of the draft meant they didn't know which city would be their base, they weren't so keen, which I hadn't even thought of. But but I've been told that that has been talked about quite a bit as well. That was um, when when I first got involved with the Big Bash, that was something all the Australian players said, that they didn't ever want to be in the Big Bash if they couldn't pick the city they were in. Um, I know there's a very famous Australian player had a shouting match with someone from Cricket Australia and they were saying, well, it's going to happen eventually, when, whether you want it or not. And he's like, I'm not fucking going to Perth for six months. Uh, <laughs> not six months, two months, whatever it was. It was probably a month back it feels then. Like, it was probably six it feels weeks. feels like it's six months now. <laughs> yeah. And so um, that that's always been the case. You get the same in the CPL, to be fair. Uh, you know, yeah. there are a lot of players who make themselves available for Barbados and, um, and St. Lucia who don't make themselves as available for Guyana. Uh, <laughs> hey, I like Guyana. I had a great time in Guyana. Just saying, I'm, I'm just saying the players feel that way, not me. Uh, I've been. Love I'm Guyana. on record on Guy Guyanese radio of telling them how much I like Guyana. Um, <laughs> although the radio host, the minute I finished that interview, took the, turned the mic off and went, "Do you really like it here?" Um, <laughs> which I thought was one of the most random things. Anyway, uh, so I think that happened before, but th that's a big part of it. And uh, there were, I think, Dwayne Bravo was someone who could have made more money in other leagues. But like coming back to Melbourne, you know, had a bit of a second home there, you know, all those sorts of things. Um, that's going to be harder and harder to do for stars in the future because they will sign up with the IPL franchise anyway. What you're talking about is the system, uh, which it currently is, where you still have the choice. The next system will be you might be owned by a franchise and they say, well, you have mm. to play in South Africa or the or Emirates or wherever it may be. So I, I find that really interesting. It's also you know, we've talked about the men's cricket, but the women's cricket is really interesting. We know that they built a system 
of professionalism that no one else ever got close to. And that's part, you know, we could talk about how talented Australian women are, but realistically, I don't think they come out of the womb any more talented for cricket than other places. A lot of it had to do with the way that cricket had grown in, in the women's game uh, outside of Australia and inside of Australia. That's not going to be the case in four to five years time when there's professional women's leagues going to pop up everywhere. Got fair break as well, which is going to help. Um, There might be, you know, two or three fair break tournaments going ahead. There might be four or five major women's competitions going ahead. Um, There'll be professional players in many different countries. Even the women are at a position where they are possibly one of the greatest sporting teams we've ever had in, in cricket. Sorry, one of the greatest teams we've ever had in cricket. But the next five years is really interesting as everyone else goes, oh, if we pay our women and they go to the gym and they they get a dietary advice and they get taught about biomechanics, they might also be good. It's good that they've been doing that. Like I, I know a lot of people have been concerned and I've written about the gap, like the gap between Australia and everyone else for a long time. Um, and it is still it is still there. It's still very much a thing. Uh, and the danger of it becoming a chasm that <laughs> might never be able to be crossed. But um, I, I, I'm happy that other countries are at, at, at least making that effort now and seeing what's happened. I, I do think it'll take a while to catch up. Mm-hmm. And the reason I think it, it will take a while to catch up is actually not because of the T20 tournaments. It's because of the WNCL, the 50-over tournament that exists. I mean, it's such a strong competition in Australia. And if, if, you, if you look at the, the really great players who've been coming through, so still so many of them come through the WNCL. Yes, more and more are coming through WBBL as well, but I, I think that is still the backbone of the quality in Australian women's cricket is that WNCL uh, competition that's been going for so long so because they've got those different levels of competition that are strong I still think it'll take a while I mean you look in England and they've yeah they've now got the Rachel Hayhoe Flint because they've realized that as well um, so they're starting to try and build the range of tournaments I don't think one like if you have a a, a four-team PSL that's not going to suddenly change everything. So, so it's a bit more broader based. I think the reason that Australia is so strong and have been for so long. Having said that, I think it's a bloody fantastic that there are so many more choices now because it's, about, it's probably for players from other countries who don't necessarily have all of that. They've just now got more environments that they can go into, make more money. It's a more attractive option. So then it draws better athletes into the sport when they see a professional career path. There's just so many benefits to it. And the, the funny thing is they've been able to at least do with the, the women's T20 tournaments and the 100, just consider that a T20 tournament for the purpose of this conversation. <clears throat> they've been able to do with that what they haven't been able to do in the men's game. <clears throat> Pardon. Oh, man, my throat's going. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm getting all excited. But they've been able to do with that what they haven't been able to do in the men's when it comes to scheduling because we all know that mm. scheduling is an absolute cluster bleep. Um, yeah, I don't know if there are children listening, but it is in the men's game. It's just there's so much and it's impossible and it's, it, it, you know, is leading to players retiring from certain formats at certain times earlier than they probably would. It sometimes means... Um, 
teams playing that aren't full strength, it, it's devaluing some things. But for the women's, when it comes to the, the first ever women's FTP, which is also amazing, they've finally got one, but they've ha- they have at least got these clear windows of internationals for the, the WBBL and for the uh, 100 and for the uh, women's IPL, which has now finally formally been announced. And then on top of that, you have then got the, you know, the, they may end up being able to create a window for the for the women's PSL. I don't know. Um, fair break, I don't know if they would do that either. But I don't think they will. They should, but no. they won't. No, but you've at least got three tournaments there that have standalone windows, which I think is a, a brilliant thing because you want the best players in the world to be able to play in all those tournaments if they can. And it'll mean more eyeballs, more better standard of competition, all of that. So that that's one advantage that the women's game. It's a bit like you know the with the women the, with the um, Super League in the in the ODIs, how they've been able to do it so well in the women's game, and the men's they only wish they could because they try this thing mm. and it doesn't doesn't work out. So so that you know that's a great thing. That's a great thing for the women's game. And I was at Fair Break too, and that was also I, I thought really exciting and I hope it, it continues to grow. Yeah, I think the the other side of it is that as we see more women play, not the same amount of cricket of men, but towards the same amount of cricket of men, we're also starting to see players like Meg Lanning and 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 Nat Siver and everyone else take a break from it, which is also telling you uh, uh, how full on women's cricket is getting. So hopefully he can get to that clusterfuck uh, level as well. Um, <laughs> Apologise to all the mythical children that Melinda Farrell is listening to this podcast. But Mel, three times a week, well, I mean, on average, several times a week, let's say several times a week, you'll be sometimes talking. Sometimes a week. <laughs> sometimes a week, you and Barra on Australia on 99.94. Uh, thanks for joining the network. Thank you so much for having me, J-Rod. I'm very appreciative as ever. Thanks for listening to Red Inca on 99.94. For more information about us, go to 99.94dm.com. Remember to download our app or just search for West Indies, India, England, South Africa and Sri Lanka with the search term 99.94 where you find podcasts or on YouTube. Red Inca is made by me, Jared Kimber. Nick McCorriston makes the best audio anyone can from random Zoom calls. We also have a great support team from 42 with Rati Joshi on socials, Orijoti Sainapia and Meda Akam producing some of the shows and Makanda Banredi as the head of YouTube content. Our theme tune is by the Red Crickets.